Well, Sanctus Church, Merry Christmas to you. Happy Advent. We're so glad you're joining us, whether you're in Ajax or Port Perry, Bowmanville, Pickering, or somewhere else here around the world. We're glad you're here. One of the earliest Christmas memories for me was driving up to my grandparents' house in Scarborough on Christmas Eve when I was really young. We drive up to the house. It was dark, and my grandparents always had lights on top of the home. Now, some of you are from a generation you'll remember this. They were the the multicolored ones, but when you'd put your hands on them, they'd burn you terribly. Uh, As I was reflecting on that this week, the crazy thing was they had the same type of lights on the tree inside of the house in the basement, which I'm sure made the tree, the house, and all of us basically about to die. But I thought it was magical and, and wonderful. Anyway, my grandmother always had these fake candles in the windows that were bright red. And the, the memory stuck with me all these years later. It was those candles when I saw them flickering in the darkness, though they were fake, that got me into the feeling of Christmas. That and I'm an only child and only grandchild. I got all the presents and they were in that house, which was epic. But it was the light, even at eight years old, that got me into the Christmas season. Light. I mean, think about it. Light is one of the major, if not the major thing that binds every single Christmas experience globally together. We put lights on our homes. We put up our Christmas tree on God-ordained day of November 1st when all Christmas trees should be put up, sorry, and lights are put on them. And we know over the whole season, lights are everywhere. Uh, We've got stars and angels and Christmas lit trees. Light is all around us. By the way, you might not know this, the tradition of putting lights or candles on Christmas tree comes from Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant church in Germany. Luther one night was walking home on a winter's eve and he looked through a group of fir trees and saw the the stars shining through the trees and so inspired, went home and put candles on his tree and that began the tradition of lighting candles on trees. Generations later, three years after Thomas and Edison invented the electric light bulb in 1879, Edward H. Johnson, who worked for Edison's company, had Christmas tree bulbs especially made for him. He proudly displayed his electric tree lights on his home on Fifth Avenue, which caused a national sensation in the United States. But it would be years before the mass production of Christmas tree lights were widely available. In 1903, the Ever Ready Company of New York began to make string lights. But if you wanted to afford string lights back then in 1903, you would have to pay the equivalent of $2,000 to put them on your tree. I remember preaching in India in the 90s and a young 14-year-old Christian teenager came to me and he asked me two questions about Canada. The first one he asked asked me was, do we all have pagers? And I said, no, we all had cell phones. And then the second question he asked me is this. He says, is it true in your country that at Christmas, even non-Christians put up lights on their homes and on trees, and it's just sort of shining everywhere. And I said, yes, it's actually true. And he said, I wish I could experience that beautiful Christian sight of light. Our Christmas carols, by the way, are full of light references. O come all ye faithful, angels from the realms of glory, the first Noel, O little town of Bethlehem, silent light, hark the herald angels sing, O holy night, Christ is born in Bethlehem again and again. Light is sung about, spoken about, and celebrated. But have you ever stopped, whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or a seeker, have you stopped and really asked the question, why does light play such a prominent role in the Christmas story? It's simple. 
Light is the foundational idea of God coming for us. Light cannot be stopped. Darkness is always overcome by light. This is the Christmas story. You remember, of course, or most of you would, the story of the shepherds. Luke 2, 9, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory, the light of God shone around them and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. That night, the darkness is pierced by the glory of God, the light of God. And in our honest moments, when we look at our motives and our families and our neighborhoods and our cities and our country and the world and politics, night, not light, usually is the true state of the world. We're all broken. We've all sinned against God, ourselves, and others. And let's be honest, the greatest darkness, the greatest night is death and it happens all the time. And yet here in the Christmas story, God's light and presence is found on a farm, a sign to come that light will even come to the darkest place found in creation, the human heart. 40 days later, Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple to be dedicated as was the custom of the Jews. And an old priest called Simeon, walking among thousands of people in a temple, is suddenly led specifically to one place to find the child, Jesus. And, and, and at 40 days old, this baby didn't look any different than, than, than any of the others. He, wasn't, he didn't have a halo. He wasn't glowing. He just was another kid. And yet the Holy Spirit told him, that child. And listen to what Simeon cries out in Luke 2.30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation for non-Jews and for the glory of your people, Israel. Glory and light, once again, at the center of the story. Two years later, the wise men would come, and they come under the calling of light. Matthew 2.2, 2, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. God uses light, once again, to break the darkness. So once again, why is light at the center of the Christmas story? Actually, a greater question is this. Why does light run through the whole of Scripture, the whole Bible? And the answer is because of God himself. See, God is not just the creator of light or the thought leader who produces light. He's not just the author of light. He himself is light. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And that is incredibly good news. Light reminds us that God is flawless. God is perfect. God is holy other. And God is holy without sin. He is trustworthy. He, he's good. He never lies. He never plays games. God does not change like shifting shadows. But there's more. Listen to Paul and John. 1 Timothy 6.15, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. And we all sit together, amen. Or listen to his best friend, John, who simply said these words in 1 John 1.5, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light. Every time God reveals himself, physically there is this experience of light, fire, and brilliance. That's why it says in the Psalms, Psalm 104, 2, God is clothed with light and glory. But then how could we know him? How can you know a being who has no beginning, who's wrapped in unapproachable light? Well, the answer is choice. The God of light, God who is wrapped in unapproachable light, chooses to reveal himself to us. 
Those things previously concealed are now fully seen. And to truly see and understand the meaning and the beauty and the hope of God who is light, we cannot start at Christmas in the middle of the story. We must go back to the beginning, back to creation, back to where light plays such a central role. Then does the middle make sense. Then does the end make sense. And when you put the beginning, the middle, and the end together, then this incredibly, incredibly precious gift that the world desperately needs and is rarely found is suddenly given, and it's called hope. Hear the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What a daring claim that there was one and only one just before what we call time, one who was uncreated, the one that was before, before. Let these so familiar words wash over you afresh. In the beginning, God, not just any God, for there are millions of things that call themselves God, but the one true living God. And here the name for God is Elohim. El means God, mighty one, the one whose incomparable power elicits fear and awe. Him is a plural word meaning fullness of supremacy or even almighty gods. So right here in the very first verse of the Bible, we know there is only one God who's uncreated, yet it would seem that within himself something more is going on. The story of creation is repeated in chapter 2, and a new name of God is introduced. Genesis 2-4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now the name Yahweh, you might know the name as Jehovah, is introduced. Creator. God the absolute. This name reveals that God cannot be fully comprehended in a word. And yet at the same time, Yahweh is God's covenantal name, his relational name, his revealing name. So God who's all powerful, God who cannot be fully described, one who is one yet in community within himself, one who has no issue with power for he is power, the unique God, this God, the only God, the one who is not begotten, he who has no limitations to his power, the very first thing he chooses to do is this, he creates. Theologians call this ex nihilo. God creates something from nothing. God, with his imagination and wisdom and artistic brilliance and suddenness and breathtaking mathematical precision, the greatest of architects, the grandest of builders, the most visionary sculptor chooses to create. And yet, there is no light. Actually, to get to light, you must travel through the valley of darkness, seen in this very bizarre, perplexing next verse, that many of us don't read, and when we read it, we don't get it. Genesis 1-2 reads like this. You're like, John, where's Christmas? Trust me, it's coming. <laughs> now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the what? The waters. In the beginning, when the uncreated was being created, there seems to be a foreboding darkness, a disorder, something not just out of place. This is dangerous, wrong, evil, and rebellious. This dark, deep abyss, this water? In Hebrew, this reads like this. There was a dark, dangerous, hostile, raging, out-of-control sea. For years, I didn't understand this. I mean, it made no sense to me. How was there water when water has not been created? And more confusing for me is actually as I kept reading the Bible and I got to the end of the story in the book of Revelation, when God makes everything right, 
Something else connects to this. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer what? Any sea. Now the sea is gone. The sea shouldn't be there and it's there and now it's gone. And I told God I like the sea. I want to sit by the ocean. When all of this is done, you're giving me an epic new body, I've been told. So I want to learn how to surf, right? I, you're laughing. I'm serious. Don't judge me. Like, don't, how many of you love sitting by water and you feel not only you connect to nature, but to God through that? Raise your hand. Well, you're, amen, but it's gone. Too bad for you. Like, that's what I was feeling. I was like, what's going? I don't understand. And yet, then suddenly, as I kept reading the Old Testament, something else even more bizarre and weird took place. You start seeing these weird demonic creatures that begin to reside in the sea. Hostile, proud, raging, destructive forces of chaos, opposing God, and even seeming to threaten actual creation. Let me give you their names. Yam, Leviathan, Rahab, and Behemoth. Now, I grew up in a more conservative Baptist church than this, so I was told that these were dinosaurs to deal with the evolution problem. They're not. It's a nice idea, but read your Bible in context. When you read the description of these creatures, they are supernatural, they are dangerous, and they're wrestling with God, and they're always symbiotically and symbolically connected to water. Yam, which was connected to the sea, was worshipped by Arab communities just before the coming of Islam. Leviathan, both in Hebrew and Canaanite imagery, is this twisting serpent of the sea with seven heads that lived in the sea, and yet God overcomes him in Psalm 74. You can read about that also in Job. Rahab is this dragon that's connected to the sea, and God overcomes him in Isaiah 51. And I was like, what does this all mean? Then it hit me like a ton of bricks. This means that there was real spiritual darkness already resisting God by the second verse in the Bible. We know this is true because by reading the New Testament, each one of these creatures, actually their names become another name for who? Satan. So we have God who is limitless and all-powerful and light, and now already by verse 2, in this moment, you have darkness resisting him. They are not stronger than God, but they're present. And even now the dark rebellion is taking place to stop light before light has even come. And that is why, by the way, in the book of Revelation, there is no sea because darkness does not win. Amen? And yet, notice in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And this is such hope-inspiring good news. This is great news. The Holy Spirit was hovering and sweeping and moving and rushing and swirling and keeping evil in check and in control, even by verse 2, and at the same time multitasking and bringing forth creation by God the Father and the Son. God's light house has been, is, and will be stronger. Darkness is the absence of light, and darkness cannot overcome light. You can be in the darkest place on earth, and if you light a candle or a match, darkness is pushed back. So it should not shock us when we read the creation account that the very first thing that comes out of the mind and mouth of God is this, let there be light, and there was light. Now let that linger for a moment. God speaks. This is the only time in Genesis, this account, where God speaks in the first person. He's, he's actually speaking. And it says that by God's word, creation came into being. 
Now this, when you know that God created the world by his word, rushes you forward in time, back to the manger, back to the story of Jesus, back to the identity of Jesus that fills out the creation story. John begins his gospel like this in John 1.1. In the beginning at creation was the word, who's Jesus, and the word was beside, in relationship with the Father, God, and yet Jesus was God. Whoa. Later, so profoundly, this idea begins to emerge that God the Father spoke the word into existence, the world into existence. In other words, God the Father used Christ because he's pre-existent to bring all things. That's why Paul would write in Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn over all of creation. Jesus isn't part of creation. He's above everything in creation. Firstborn comes from Psalm 89, meaning sovereign one. It says in verse 16, by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, throne, power, ruler, authority, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Have you thought about that? Light and lights, star and fish and oceans and humans and and universes and grass and trees and waters and atoms. Even Paul says the unseen powers and the unseen realm are made by Jesus, for Jesus, and they are underneath his feet. He is before all things and all things hold together in him. See, God did not just create everything, set up some rules like a clockmaker and wind up the clock and walk away and say, I'm disinterested. He's involved now. He's involved then. He will always be involved. And Jesus is the rationale, the rhythm, the reason. He's the system of all systems. He's not, sorry, Star Wars fans, he's not the force that keeps all things together. He's a personal, knowable God who keeps things going. Or as one theologian said, he keeps the cosmos from becoming a chaos. So back to creation we go. God the Father, through God the Son, by God the Holy Spirit, one God forever in community, and the very first thing that God creates is let there be light. God spoke and light broke across the darkness. And yet, have you thought about it? The sun and the stars and the moon, they're created on day four. And of course, there it is again. God, who himself is the ultimate source of light because he is light, literally the universe is sustained day one, day two, day three by him personally. Before the beginning, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, light is always found and light always burns away darkness. By the way, sitting here in 2019, most of us don't understand Genesis 1, 2, and 3 very well. See, when this was written, it wasn't just to tell us there was only one God and creation took place. It's not a scientific manual. Stop it. It's written as poetry for a reason. The main reason why Genesis 1, 2, and 3 was written is as, actually as a polemic, as a rebuke, as a response to the religious thinking to all the nations surrounding the Jews. All the nations around the Jews worshipped creation. Reading this, they would hear the Jews saying, our God is greater, our God is more powerful, our God is God. God is not dependent on the stars. God is not dependent on the suns. They depend on him. God has dominion over everything. Sea, chaos, darkness, sun, moon, stars, animals, humans. Just, just think about it. The nations, when Genesis moved for orality to being written down, was uh, the, the nations around, they worshiped the moon. They worshiped the stars. They worshiped the sun. 
They worshiped animals and demons and kings and pharaohs, but it declares here that God, this God, the only true God, is above all things and is stronger than everyone and everything. It's offense and it's truth. God saw the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness and God called light day and the darkness he called it night and there was evening and morning on the first day. Well, the amazing project continues, water and sky, then ground and then sea, then land, then plant, then tree, then fruit. Oh, then on day four, light comes back. God has sustained the universe with his own light. And now it says in verse 16 of Genesis 1, God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Oh, side note, and he made the stars. Do you see this? The nations around the Jews at this moment worshiped the sun. They worshiped the moon. And they believed, as still so many people around the earth and in the GTA in Toronto believe today, that fate and direction and purpose and destiny is connected to following the stars called astrology. Never and no. God spoke all you worship into existence. God flung the stars in this, in, into space like an afterthought. Yeah, some stars, no problem. And this is an amazing, stunning fact. Sitting here in 2019, we're not sure how many stars there are, but scientists now determine there are 10 billion galaxies in the known universe. That means there's 100 billion stars average in each galaxy, which means there's 1 billion trillion stars. And our God went, mm, okay. Do you see the power of this? The magnificence of God. This is why I love the prophet Jeremiah when he said in Jeremiah 2.10, this is what the Lord says, do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. Don't worry about all that stuff. You who keep looking at the created order to find light for your path or light in your heart, you will never find light in a person, in a philosophy, in religious thinking or invention. Nothing even in the profound created order will bring light because the one who actually is light is the author of everything you're looking at. Don't walk into a museum and being so inspired by this beautiful painting called creation that you actually miss that there's an artist behind the painting who you can personally get to know. So God, three in one, one God in eternal relationship, filled with and actually always being light, has revealed himself. And the Bible is covered. It's enveloped in light. The Bible is bookended with light. When you move from the beginning to the middle to the end, you see it. Let me go back to book, the book of Revelation one last time. Revelation 21, 1. And then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. Oh, and he's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. The old order of things have passed away. But keep reading down. Verse 23. And the city, this new Jerusalem, does not need sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp and the lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Amen? So as we enter the Christmas season, as we look at our world, and our world is dark, it actually feels more dark maybe than it has in a long time. 
Racism seems to be growing. Inappropriate nationalism is growing. Xenophobia, war, the disparity between rich and poor. No matter your view, the ongoing climate crisis is among us. The largest refugee crisis in modern history is happening as we're sitting here today. Millions are fleeing for their lives. And then there's just us. Our junk, our darkness, our sin. And in this moment where we can feel overwhelmed as darkness seems to rule the day on social media, let us remember first and foremost that God, who's wrapped in unapproachable light, has revealed himself. And we know that he is trustworthy and there's no darkness in him at all. And let us remember this, darkness does not win. It does not win in the end. I say this every year, but I need to say it again. I was walking through Michael's, craft heaven or hell, depending on your worldview. And as I was walking through craft hell, hell, I heard this waft over me, this, this song. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan power when we've gone all astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Tidings of comfort and joy. I, in that moment, almost cried out at the top of amen and hallelujah in the middle of craft hell. I was so ready to do it, then I remembered my child was with me, so I didn't. But it's true. By verse two in the Bible, Darkness is present, but the Holy Spirit keeps it in check. By verse 3, light breaks out and darkness is pushed back. As you read the Old Testament, every single one of those wicked creatures is overcome by Yahweh, the true living God, God Almighty of heaven and earth. And every time the nations rise up against God and his people, they are pushed back. And then Jesus comes and his birth was an invasion for he is the Prince of Peace. And he comes and he evades the darkness of the world to confront the Prince of Darkness. And by his life and by his teachings and by his miracles and by his exorcisms and deliverances, and then his beautiful death in his profound resurrection, light breaks evil forever. This is what John wrote. The reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. If you've accepted Jesus, I know not all of you have, but most of us have here, we need to also be reminded in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, that he has is, he is entered into and he has broken the greatest darkness which is not Satan, it's us, our human heart. If you want a verse to think on, to meditate on, to, to encourage you this Christmas season for real, it's actually not found in the classic Christmas narratives. It's actually found in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine in the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus. If you know Christ, the very light of creation and the very author of light lives in you and darkness has been banished. Which, by the way, leads me to the most important moment. Every time at this year around Christmas, Christians get a little grumpy. We're grumpy a lot, but we get really grumpy culturally. We wear these things, keep Jesus in Christmas. It's the real season. Okay. Some of you are like, I'm wearing that right now. I know I'm watching you. 
Here's the way we keep Christ in Christmas as Christians. Ready? We walk in the light. You walk in the light. If you actually want to keep Christ in Christmas, don't worry if people are trying to take Jesus out of Christmas. It's irrelevant. Walk in the light for you now are the light. This is so important. Do you remember when God in the creation, what did he do? He separated the darkness from light and he said they need to be separate. Well, the same for us. We as Christians, privately when no one's looking and personally and publicly just need to walk in the light. Here's what Paul said in Ephesians 5.8. For you once were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Whoa. So live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. So find out, find out, find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. You who are already characterized by light, keep living in the light. Keep reflecting the light. Grow in light over time. Righteousness and integrity when dealing with God and yourself and others. Love God's word. But don't just love God's word, obey God's word. Don't participate in things you know are sin. Do not give in to spiritual darkness. Do not give in to sin. Walk as a person who is Christmas all year round. Walk as a person who's walking in the creation story and in the Christmas story and in the story that is to come. It's what Paul said. He said, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything is exposed by the light. It becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. And so this is an invitation for us not to get sidetracked on cultural battles that don't last. If you truly want to keep Jesus in the season, then live as a child of light when you're online. Live as a child of light when you're talking to someone else. Live as a child of light when you're on social media. Live as a child of light when you're with your neighbor who does not know Jesus. Live as a child of light when you're dealing with another Christian you'd prefer not to give a Merry Christmas to and do something else. Live as a child of light because as people who know God who is light, we are called not just on December 25th, but all year round to revel in the light, love the light, experience the light, and show light to the others. Do you agree with that? So could we stand together and could we ask the Holy Spirit across all of our sites to grow this very difficult thing in us? So here's the first thing. Thank you, Lord, in this moment that you are a God who is trustworthy. Like, we look around at our world right now, Lord, and a lot of people are not trustworthy, and we don't even know who to trust half the time. Thank you, you don't change, you don't shift opinions, you're just who you are, so thank you. Here's the second thing we wanna say, thank you, God, that darkness does not win. On Christmas, we just wanna say this, thank you that sin doesn't win, death doesn't win, Satan doesn't win, and you have made all things right, and you're all gonna make all things right. So just thank you. On this Christmas, we declare that Jesus is Lord and Jesus has overcome all things. Here's another thing we want to pray about, Lord, and it's just so important uh, for us. Thank you that the scriptures declare that we who have accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord, the light of God found in the face of Christ has shone into our hearts by the Spirit. So our request this Christmas is that this light would grow in this church. We do pray this. We, we pray, Holy Spirit, we invite the Holy Spirit to continue to say to us, that's a deed of darkness, don't go there. That we would be marked by light. And could you just pray that personally? Make me more full of light. Lord, help us to forgive each other, love each other, and actually walk away from darkness. Help the church to be light, pure, 
Actually, God, help our church to be its namesake, Sanctus, holy. Would you come into the darkness? You know, Pastor Dave was praying this here at Ajax just before the first service here where he said, oh God, we pray that the spirit of God would be sent even into the dark places of our church. Lord, would that happen? And here's the last thing we want to pray about as we get ready for Christmas Eve and the party that it's going to be. Lord, we take a moment to pray right now for family and friends and neighbors that we're inviting or are going to walk right off the street. And we pray that the light of Jesus would break into their hearts and they'd see Jesus and accept him. We pray for hundreds of people to say yes to Jesus Christ on Tuesday night. But we don't just pray for our church. Here's our prayer. In the next 48 hours, billions of people, billions of people are going to hear the scriptures read and sung. They're going to fill churches. Some people know Jesus. Many people don't. And here's our request. God, our Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, send out the light, the light of creation, the light of salvation, the light of hope, and may millions of people around the world find Jesus, embrace Jesus, and be transformed. We pray that the people that we never expect to come would come and meet the living Jesus. We invite the light of Jesus around our dark world and we thank you that your kingdom will never be stopped and we declare on this Christmas the gates of hell will never prevail over the church. We praise it. Amen, amen, amen.